right, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was with a friend, and we were just talking about the stories we like to read, um, the books we like to read, the stories we like to watch on TV, and we're very similar. Um, both of us kind of like things that some might say are a little dark. Um, stories about people who are in painful struggles um, that the main character really has to face and then eventually overcome in their life. And uh, my friend admitted that when she was a little girl, her favorite stories to read were always the ones where the children were on their own. So for some reason, you know, there are various reasons, there's actually a lot of children's literature where the kids are lost or, um, the, you know, they've lost their parents and their orphans. Um, these stories were her favorite to read when she was growing up, which seems a little strange, but yet many children like these stories because honestly, um, stories that are about people who never have conflict or loss or disappointment, um, where the main character always gets everything they want in life, that makes for a pretty boring story, right? Um, that isn't something we really wanna watch on TV where you know there's no conflict, no drama. But honestly, we are kind of looking for that in our own lives, right? That's what we want. We really want the easy life without much drama and disappointment. I know, so, <laughs> so during our teaching series, we've been looking at the book of James, the letter that he wrote. Um, it's one of the first letters that was written um, that has been included into the New Testament um, right after Jesus' death and resurrection in the beginning of the church. And so James is writing this letter to a group of Jewish Christians who um, have been brought up in the Jewish faith and became believers in Jesus. And because of persecution, they have to flee Jerusalem, their home, their community, um, oftentimes their family, and they're spread out throughout Asia and Europe. And so James writes this letter to be sent around to these area churches to be read to these Jewish Christian believers. And part of the reason that he writes this letter is as an encouragement for these um, Christians to persevere through the struggles that they are facing in their life. And so the beginning and the end of this letter start and end with that encouragement. And so I'm going to just read through um, that encouragement. I'm going to start in chapter 1 of uh, James and the second verse. And then I'm going to skip right to chapter 5, um, verse 7. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app with you, you're welcome to read along or um, you're welcome to just kind of listen to this almost as it is new encouragement for you. Think about whatever struggles you are facing, the, um, the things that are challenging you to give up and to walk away from relationships, ministries, uh, uh, jobs, all of those things that we um, struggle with and we want to sometimes just give up. And hear this as a fresh encouragement from James. He says in James chapter 1, Consider it pure, joys, my, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And then chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient, 
then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was just a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That's James in his encouragement to a group of Jewish people who knew the prophets, who knew the story of Job and Elijah. And I have to admit that um, for many of you, I might have lost you just there in the beginning with consider it pure joy to face trials of many kind because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let's be honest. Um, the, to imagine a person who's like super joyful and happy, like woohoo, I get to do these trials. Um, they sound weird, right? <laughs> they sound like the people we don't really want to hang out with. And um, it makes me think of those people. There's always one or two in your class in school who like likes hard tests, right? They're like, yeah, hard assignment. And those people are annoying, all right? Um, you might have been one of those kids in school. And uh, I don't think that's what James is asking of us here. I think James is just trying to make a connection for these people that he knows um, their circumstances and the trials they already are going through. And what he's trying to do is make a connection for, for them that they want wholeness. They want maturity in Christ. And I think we all want that. We just would like to achieve it without the struggles in life, right? And James is saying they're connected. That when we go through struggles and trials, that is how we grow. And so he's trying to reframe these circumstances that they are in and say, can you see them as opportunities to grow? Can we do that? Can we see the circumstances we are in as opportunities to grow? So recently, a friend of mine um, wrote a prayer that she um, published in a couple of different um, blogs and um, places online. Um, she's a pastor, and she um, wrote this prayer for friends and followers and family members of a Christian author named Rachel Held Evans, who last month 
She died at the age of 37. Suddenly, um, because of just a, a fluke accident um, reaction to the flu. And so she left behind two small children and her husband and just a, um, a very strong career, um, writing books. She's written many, many books and um, is important to many people. And my friend wrote this prayer in particular to the people that um, read her books. She um, was very helpful for people who um, grew up in the church and for various reasons felt um, like the church wasn't their home, like they weren't welcome there anymore. Um, for reasons um, because of doubts that they had and questions were not acceptable in their church environment, um, maybe church leadership, many different reasons. Um, but she was kind of, for them, this first dip into the water of trying again to reconnect with Jesus and reconnect to the church. And so my friend, she wrote this this prayer because she knew that for these Christians that her loss um, would be another hit to already kind of fragile faith. And so she prayed um, in her prayer, she quoted this verse, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And that might seem like um, unhelpful advice, but I, I really appreciated how she kind of reframed this verse for me as well. Um, she talked about it as the testing of your faith actually being kind of a loving act from a loving father. And for me personally, um, always the idea of my, test, um, my faith being tested was always something that kind of, um, well, I didn't like. Um, I, you know, kind of attributed it to being tested, friends or family members who like kind of test your skills at something or um, test your commitment to something or your love to that person, you know, for that person, that I kind of see that as can be manipulative, um, can be untrusting. And so I, I think I had put that on God. And like, I didn't like the idea of God testing my faith. What did that mean? And her explanation was very helpful. She kind of connected um, the idea of testing our faith to how we teach our young children how to do things on their own. And, you know, I have three children. Um, two of them are adults at this stage. Um, the middle one is about ready to go to college. And there's, that's like the whole 18 years of work, right? We're, we're trying to get to the point where she can live on her own and do things on her own. And she will make mistakes and has made mistakes, and, and you're always, like, trying to get her to the point where she feels like she is strong enough, that she's grown up, that she can make it. And think, we think back to just even teaching our children how to walk. Imagine what that looks like. Um, I imagine you've seen where you take both of their hands and you walk slowly with them, allowing them to walk and gain confidence that they can walk on their own. And then after a while, when you realize they're kind of getting it, you take one hand away, right? And you're kind of testing them. Can they do it? Yeah, they're getting stronger, right? They are like, yeah, I can do this. And then eventually you take the other hand away. And the child takes a few steps on their own. And you know what they do? They fall. And a parent, what does the parent do? He reaches up and grabs them and says, that's okay. We can do this. Look at how big you are. Look at how great you are, right? You can do this. 
And so it was really helpful for me to reframe um, the idea of my, my faith being tested as that. God is allowing me to grow, allowing my faith to grow, and that he has that posture also. Of like, look at you. Look what you can do. Look at your faith. I'm so proud of you. Instead of uh, that of um, somebody who's like, no, that isn't good enough, right? James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And then we see in chapter 5, James relates this time that he knows his readers are in. They're in a time of trial and struggle. And he relates that to a time between rain for farmers. Now, I know we probably don't have any farmers in the room with us this morning. Um, but uh, for us, <laughs> yes, my children are in overalls this morning. Um, as the kids call them, they are train drivers. But uh, no, I don't think we, we might have some people who grew up in um, in the land of the farms. Um, we've got some Kansas, Missouri, Ohio people, uh, but most of us New York City people, we're not farmers. Um, and so when it rains a lot, we are not really, uh, you know, we just are kind of like, this is annoying, right? The rain is annoying to us. But for many, many people around the world, the rain is something they are very clearly aware that they are dependent on it. They are dependent on the rain for us to have the food that we need to grow. And so that's why James says, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. How does a farmer wait for rain that he needs? James says he waits patiently. For all of us, we are also in this in-between time of rain, a time when Jesus' kingdom is here, and God's spirit is present and is working in our lives, and yet we wait for the time of Jesus' return when we know that all things will be made right. And so we're stuck in between the rains, waiting patiently for the harvest to come. And as we wait patiently, James says we do so by remembering God's faithfulness. It's interesting that throughout the Old and the New Testament, oftentimes writers talk about the rain. And when they talk about the rain, it's always in connection with God's faithfulness. And so there's two great examples of this. The first is in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read it for us. It says, so be faithful. Obey the commands of the Lord your God is giving you today. Love him. Serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then the Lord will send rain on your land at the right time. He'll send rain in the fall and in the spring. I'm going to read that one more time. 
So be faithful. Obey the commands of the Lord your God is giving you today and love him. Serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then the Lord will send rain on your land at the right time. He'll send rain in the fall and in the spring. And then the prophet Hosea said in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, let's recognize him as the Lord. Let's keep trying to really know him. And you can be sure the sun will rise, and you can be just as sure the Lord will appear. He will come to renew us like the winter rains. He will be like the spring rains that water the earth. We are called, just as the Jewish people who are waiting for Messiah to come, um, back in Hosea's time, um, we are also called to remain faithful and patiently wait for Jesus' return. And we wait knowing and reminding ourselves and one another that God is faithful and that the rain will come. Jesus will return and all things will be made right. And James gives some instructions on how we remain faithful as we wait for change to come. He says, we find strength by looking at the stories of others, how others have persevered in the face of the struggles that they, they have met, and how God was faithful in their lives. He's talking to a crowd who know the stories of the prophets, and he's saying, look to them, look at how hard their lives were, and yet how God was faithful to them and how he used them. And in particular, he mentions Elijah. And Elijah's story um, is a lot about rain, right? If you remember the story, Elijah um, is in exile. The um, Jewish people are in exile. And so uh, he is working to show who God is, that he is the one true God. He is the powerful um, God who is above the foreign gods of the people there. And so he prays that it wouldn't rain. And then they are desperate for rain. And there's this duel that we see almost that Elijah is praying for rain to show up. And the foreign um, gods, they're praying to the foreign gods to, to bring rain. And, of course, it is Yahweh who brings the rain. And it's this um, amazing show of God's faithfulness but also his power and strength. And so James says, remember that story. Remember the stories of the prophets. And then he makes a comparison of what to do and what not to do as we are patiently waiting for God to show up in our life and to provide. This is what he says. He says, don't grumble against one another. That's what we're not supposed to do. Don't grumble against one another or you will be judged. Um, I think we all know this is true in our own lives. When we are going through tough stuff, and we've been going through it for a while, and we don't know when it's going to end, that that is the hardest time to not get frustrated with others and to start to grumble and to forget about the struggles that they are facing in their life and get stuck in our own stuff. And James says, don't do that. Don't start to grumble because the truth is we need each other. We need community. If we're going to persevere, we need prayer. That's what we're supposed to do. Instead of grumbling, we pray for one another. Instead of grumbling and getting frustrated, we share and confess the ways that we are struggling. 
with one another. And we, we get closer instead of getting farther apart. Because we need each other if we're going to persevere. We cannot do it alone. And so this morning, we're um, going to take advantage of the community we have, um, the stories we have in our faith family here. And we're going to share with you a story. Um, Annie is going to come up in a few moments and share just a recent story from her life. It's a, star a story of um, hardship and struggle, um, one that honestly we wouldn't want to experience or our family and friends to experience in their own lives. And yet it is a story of God's faithfulness of God's power and his strength. And so as she tells the story this morning, um, we want you to hear this story not because we know all the whys to why God did what he did. We don't. We tell the story because we need to be reminded what he can do. And we tell this story in a time when I know that many of us here are waiting patiently for healing or a relationship to be reconciled or a trial to end. And we tell this story today so that you would find encouragement about what God can do. We don't know how long it will take in each of our stories before the rain begins to fall before healing comes, before reconciliation and repentance appear, before the trial is over. But we do know that God will return, and all things will be made new. And so let us be faithful together until that day. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I have to acknowledge... Um, just how hard uh, this message was for me. Um, I, I, um, I struggle. I struggle to keep going on, and I struggle to um, persevere and to be patient. Oof. I struggle to be patient. I want the trials to end in my own life and in the friend my friends' lives and my family's lives. Lord, I want the struggle and the pain of our community, of the marginalized. I want it to end, and I get frustrated, and I want to quit. And I sometimes want to be alone and just miserable. And so I pray that if that is true of anyone else, Lord, that you would comfort us and that you would just convict us and remind us that we need one another, Lord. We need one another to persevere. I pray that um, we would see healing, we would see reconciliation, we would see the trials come to an end, Lord but I pray for perseverance. I pray that um, just as the prophets, that you would look at our perseverance and you would say that's blessed. That you would find joy just from our perseverance, that you would see it as love, that we would serve you with our hearts, 
and with our souls, Lord. That is what we want, Lord. I pray that you use our trials, you use our um, difficult circumstances to grow us. Lord, bring good out of it. Change us to be more like you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So Annie's going to come and share with us. All right. This is going to work, too, because she's taller than me. All right. The first question is, tell us about your brother's recent medical emergency and how you saw God working through that. I'm not prepared. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, I told Wendy that I need a stand because I uh, shake in front of public, but it's really because of my medication, not because I'm nervous. Is it true? (laughs) We'll go with that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm so grateful. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Um, So um, uh, March, April 11th, um, my brother was found on the side of the road without a pulse at 530 in the morning. Um, It was dark out. Um, The man that found him was late to work, and he's never late to work. Um, Turns out he was a 53-year-old man, and he took a CPR class back in college, had never taken CPR since, had never performed it, and um, he performed it on my brother. Um, The next man that came was actually a nurse who was early to work. He was never early to work. He left early. And he was an ICU nurse, so he was, like, immediately right in there. Um, The next one was a police officer who randomly was going to get coffee. And so (laughs) we had these amazing uh, first responders. um, And then the ambulance came, and um, my brother was on cardiac arrest, um, um, obviously, for those that time. And the ambulance did the, you know, the defibrillators, which are, like, you know, the electric shocks. And they're, like, clear! (laughs) You know, and um, just like that. And uh, they did it. (laughs) (laughs) I was, (laughs) um, and then they did it uh, five times. And usually, like, people, like, normally, they don't even survive three times. Like, if you can survive after three times, it's shocking. Um, And then um, he went to the hospital. Um, He was there for three hours, non-responsive. They found out that he, uh, he was... Um, his heart was stopped for a total of 13 minutes, was the only thing that was producing blood was CPR throughout his body. And they didn't know how long he was on the side of the road, passed out, you know, without a heartbeat before that. Um, they intubated him, which means a tube down his throat into his lungs. Um, but because he was non-responsive, they didn't even sedate him. It's a very painful thing to have that go down your throat. So he wasn't breathing on his own. They cooled his body completely down to a very low temperature. I think it was like in the 30s um, because they wanted to preserve any possible brain function, but they thought he might be brain dead. Um, The helicopter was called to transport him um, to the bigger hospital, uh, actually Johns Hopkins, um, with a heart unit to be... um, specialized there, but his oxygen level was uh, dropped, and so they actually had to wait 20 minutes before he could get on the um, helicopter, make sure he didn't die on the helicopter. And then at the Johns Hopkins, he was in the ICU, and the issues in his 
there were issues in his heart ventricles collapsing. Um, there was a specific enzyme that should have been 0 0.01 for him was at level 100. Um, he was he had extreme like fluid in his lungs that was not draining. His urine was opaque and showed toxicity in his blood. So they hooked him up to a dialysis. Um, he had issues with uh, his liver and kidneys they were concerned about. Um, and of course, the brain, they said, at, at best, a year rehab, but maybe nothing at all. They, they couldn't. So they sedated him because the idea is that you want to sedate him mentally, which means basically keep him completely knocked out mentally so that his actual body organs can work. And then they bring up his brain to see if possibly he survived brain function. Um, so, I've been praying about how to describe this situation um, to you guys because I've talked about it so many times that, you know, there's, there's so much I could detail I could go into. For time, I will not, but, um, <laughs> but um, and, and I felt like I prepped in different ways, and I just felt like when I was, uh, you know, kind of praying a little bit more last night, I don't hear God very specifically that often, but it felt very specific for me to actually go into what my experience of the situation was. And um, when I got that call on, on April 11th, that Thursday morning, and took their train down, and when I started to pray with, um, with friends, and I, you know, I was able to text everyone in this church you know, to ask for prayers, and people were just praying immediately for my brother, um, you know, I did not feel scared that he wasn't going to make it. I didn't feel scared that he wasn't going to survive. And my mom was telling me she held his hand in the hospital and he was completely cold and lifeless and no response at all. But for some reason, I didn't fear that at all, that he wasn't going to make it. I knew he was going to come out of it. And even when I was praying on the phone with a friend and we were praying about, God, we don't know the purposes of this. Whatever purpose you have of this situation, God, that you would make, you would be glorified, that ultimately this would be for your glory. So whether it's going to be people coming to Christ because of healing, whatever your purpose is for this situation, God, that you would have that purpose. Um, so when I got there, they found out that he, he could be brain dead. That's what the doctor had told the room. And my mom, you know, told me the situation and, you know, she's crying and I just held her and I was like, well, I don't care. That's not our brother. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. And it just, it didn't, it didn't strike me. Um, and so we had whole churches, our church friends, friends of friends, asking everyone to pray. There were people in uh, three different continents that were praying for him. Um, some were fasting, um, and people asked for prayer, for healing, um, and, you know, I remember at one point, it was really hard for me because it was hard to navigate people's situations, you know, and emotions of this situation, right, because if you, you know, just you talked about, like, you pray healing, you, you lay hands on the sick, and they will recover, that's what it talks about in the Bible, and so there were so many times that there are Christians in the room with my brother, and no one's praying, and so I just went for it and like, guys, can we pray and held, you know, put hands on him and prayed. And there were times that I just had to, you know, just, okay, we'll just see. We'll see how it goes. Um, and we'll just pray. And, you know, that's the risk of everyone being disappointed. Everyone, you know, having their faith, you know, potentially dampened. And, you know, they, they tried, you know, why didn't God heal him? And I remember my mom, you know, kind of taking me aside at one point and saying, you know, these other people that are here, 
you know, they lost someone just two years ago. Like, I'm sure they prayed. Can, you know, can you settle it down a little kind of? And I was like, Mom, three weeks ago, there was a man that, you know, my husband and I prayed for and we love and he died of cancer three weeks ago. And I prayed with strangers about that man. And I don't know why God does the things that he does. And I don't know why we were so disappointed and we mourned and we went to his funeral. And um, I don't know why, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be faithful to what God asked me to do and that I'm going to change my faith because of a situation that happened in the past. And um, so that was my experience. The next thing that was pretty darn incredible that we, um, as we've been praying, like throughout the time that my brother was in the hospital, um, could you put up the, the picture of what he looks like? in the, the before picture. So that's what he looked like. Um, my mom didn't want me to take the picture, but I was like, listen, I got to have a before picture. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, when we were in, um, lost my train of thought. Um, oh, that was what it was. My um, sister uh, was telling me how she was in a play about Lazarus. And I was like, you're kidding me. It was actually the same Sunday that um, Alberto had um, said about Lazarus that same day. And so that week I was reminded to about a Lazarus song that I had loved growing up. So the day before my brother um, went into this whole situation, I was dancing about Lazarus in my kitchen. <laughs> and then it turns out while my brother is going through this whole thing, my um, aunt, who doesn't even go to church, I'm surprised if she even knew the story of Lazarus, but she had two dreams, two nights in a row about Lazarus. And so um, we were praying prayers of Lazarus over my brother. It ended up um, all happening. It was the week before Easter. And um, so what ended up happening was it was, um, you know, April 11th. Um, he was knocked out slowly, you know, every report, good report. We, you know, sent it out to all the people that were praying like, good report, God's doing something. His, you know, his hearts are, his heart ventricles are opening and, and this is happening and this is happening. And then we found that his lungs are draining fluid and his, well, he, he can be off a of dialysis and they're happy about his kidneys and all these small reports, but we would just shoot it out to everyone and say, you know, continue to pray in faith. God is doing things. And what ended up happening was three days later, um, they uh, started to bring him off of sedation, which apparently is something that they never do in such a short amount of time. And in fact, normally, um, even with someone as healthy and young as him, they would do at least a full seven days. So they ended up deciding three days later to start bringing him out of sedation. And he ended up um, coming out of sedation three days later. And I wanted to just um, share this quick clip with you. Let's see if I can make it so that you can hear it. Can you hear it? I am happy to be walking and talking still. Well, I'm talking. We haven't got that up yet. So anyway, so he said, um, so he, yeah, he was back up then. Um, and I think there's another question. Do we have time? Okay. <laughs> All right, well, the next um, thing I was going to share was, um, so it was three days that he was, he was down, and, and really three days after that he was um, resurrected by God's grace. Um, so I think one of the questions was, uh, what was it? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so the question that um, I think when we go through these struggles, it's helpful for us to just take a moment and think about 
um, how our own faith was kind of strengthened through this. You were there through it all. And so um, just share how your own faith was strengthened through that experience, a painful experience, but how it was strengthened. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until last night that I was trying to decide why did I have such, like, why was that my experience? That was such a strange way of responding to the situation, um, I think, in just in the past couple of years. And I realized in the last just few months, my faith has has been strengthened so much. And I was trying to, like, I, I thought I was blaming it on something else that had gone on recently in my life. But I realized that I had actually, um, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but I'd actually bought a super cute Bible about three or four months ago. <laughs> Those of you who know me know I bought this cute Bible because it was cute. And, <laughs> and I, I just think it's so cute that, I, you know, I read it instead of, like, my Bible app. And I was finding out that my Bible app just wasn't giving me that much life. I was kind of scrolling, and it felt dull or whatever. And um, this, I'm, like, underlining things. And then I go back, and I'm like, oh, I've already read this before, and I feel so, like, good about how much of the Bible I've been reading. Um, so the point that I have there, I mean, in the word, it does say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I feel like God just, it was so kind of him to give me this opportunity of months beforehand preparation of growing my faith to then be at a spot where I could have faith because I've been reading about James, for example, where it says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know, um, there's one passage and this was probably, um, I know, uh, in terms of time, but one, um, passage that um, I think Jesus says the word marvel, you know, in, in, in the English, English standard translation um, twice. Um, anyway, um, and he says uh, it because he's marveling at somebody's faith. And the first time, or in Matthew, it talks about him marveling at a centurion, which is like a Roman commander, um, somebody who's not even a Jew, but he came to him and said, please heal my servant. And um, Jesus is like, okay, I'll go to your house. And he's like, no, 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 just, you, you know, just heal him now. I mean, from here, I, I know I'll go home and you just say the word and you'll heal him. And Jesus like marveled and he's like, I haven't seen anyone in, in all of, I think he might've said all of Israel or Jerusalem or whatever, um, with that kind of faith. And he marveled. And um, right then it was, he was healed. But then in like Mark uh, 6, there's a couple of accounts, but one, it says, um, you know, he was in his hometown. Jesus was later in his hometown of Nazareth and um, he was doing all these miracles and Jesus was doing all these incredible things. But, um, uh, but the people were like, but isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? You know, isn't this the brother of these guys and aren't the sisters here? Like, come on, this can't be the right guy. And, um, and then it says, Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Nothing much. Um, and, and, but Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And so I guess the thing that I was struck by last night when I was praying about this is that I don't know why um, God, for example, healed my brother and not the man that we had prayed so fervently for, um, even though it seemed like God was going to heal that other gentleman. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know why, why, you know, God did that, but I will say that I don't want to be 
a person of unbelief so much so that God can't do the work that he wants to do, you know, because right now he may have, he may want to do bigger things and I just don't have the faith for it. So I just want to, I guess, encourage all of us that are here, you know, um, that we could grow our faith and maybe God's going to do bigger than even what we thought and the stuff that, you know, maybe we're not, you know, the stuff that, that doesn't happen. We just have to trust and believe that, there's more, more that we can see, um, more reasons than we can understand. But um, I think those are all the things I wanted to share. <laughs>